You may turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, we'll be there in a moment. As you turn there, I want you to think about this word. The word is choices. Choices. We all have choices to make. You woke up this morning and you looked outside, and and maybe some of you said, hmm, do I go or do I stay? Some of you may not have thought about it, but others might have. We all have choices to make. Some choices we take for granted, like the choice of whether we will uh, buy those old sandpaper-like tissues, you know, that we blow our noses on, or if we're going to buy those incredibly amazing tissues that have hand lotion in them. Have you ever used those? It's like, what happened to this, right? How, who thought of that? That's incredible. We have choice. You go to buy tissue paper, you say, do you want the, the, the old rough ones or do you want the ones that, that make your nose slippery? <laughs> Some choices we think very little of, Right? Some choices we think a lot about. Some choices we think very little of, like, uh, for instance, what we'll have for breakfast. Maybe you don't even think about it because you eat the same thing every day. If you're like me, you eat the same thing every day. You don't even think about it. Some choices we think long and hard over, like maybe when you were a youngster and you were thinking of leaving home and you were thinking about what you were going to do with your life. Maybe you thought long and hard about whether you were going to go to school or Look for a job. Sometimes I think back and I think, man, why didn't I think longer about what I did? I I just didn't want to be at home anymore, so I just decided to join the Marines. What were you thinking? I remember I remember thinking shortly thereafter, going, my mom wanted me to go to college. What was I thinking? I, was like, I would actually have some free time. Some of our choices we think long and hard about, like, who we're going to marry, or maybe what kind of a job we're looking for, where we're going to work, or even where we're going to go to church. And that should be something that we think carefully about. It was interesting, uh, Carolyn was telling me some time ago, and I asked her again about it this week, Carolyn tells me that some time ago when our missionaries to Benin, West Africa, Ken and Debbie Haley, several of you have met them before, uh, when they were here to visit some time ago, Uh, Debbie Haley related what a stark contrast there was between the simplicity of life there in West Africa to the complexity of life here. And she was specifically saying that life seems complex here because there are so many choices. (laughs) For instance, she said she went into the grocery store here after coming back from being gone for many years, and she went into the aisle to buy some salad dressing for her salad and couldn't believe, you know, dozens of types of salad dressing and brands of salad dressing. Many of us probably, you open your refrigerator, you probably got six or seven different salad dressings in our our refrigerators. The choices can be overwhelming. And to her, she said, that that seemed to make life more complex here than, than there in Africa. In Africa, she explained that if you wanted tacos for supper, you made your own tortillas. If you wanted tacos for supper, not only did you make your own tortillas, you made your own sauce and so forth because you can't simply go to the store and buy those items of convenience that we take for granted. When we go to the store, we go, what kind of sauce do we want? Do we want mild or kind of spicy or really knock your socks off spicy or you know whatever? We, we, we're not sure. We, 
we have so many choices to make, right? She also noted that some changes that stood out to her seemed to have changed while they, uh, some choices seemed to have changed while they were gone for many years. She thought it was interesting that they would visit churches and she would notice people standing around after church talking about where do you want to go out to eat? And, and it was having a hard time deciding where to go out to eat when, when she thought it seemed like everybody just usually just went home to eat. And now we have a hard time deciding where we want to go after church uh, to, because there are so many choices. She said that seemed strange, and that seemed to make life a little more complex. So it, so it was all a bit overwhelming and jolting to her to come back to the States after being in Benin, West Africa, where there isn't such abundance, where life is a little simpler because the choices are fewer. We sure do like our choices, don't we? <laughs> we like having choices. One thing about having a multitude of choices is that because of all those choices, we tend to think that we have more freedom. And with that kind of thinking, we may even wrongly think that all of our choices are safe choices when not all of our choices are safe choices. And the trouble is, with so many choices conditioning our thinking, conditioning the way we think about life, thinking that we have lots of choices and all those choices are safe, I can choose whatever I want and nothing's wrong, that comes the danger of thinking that we also have a variety of choices about how we will deal with Jesus and what we will do with Jesus. When in fact there are only two choices that you can make about Jesus. Will you believe in him and follow him? Or will you reject him in disbelief? Those are your two choices. And one of them is wrong. We noted last week as we began our study here in Hebrews that this is a, a letter to a suffering group of Jewish believers. They were looking back, in fact, and the writer of Hebrews was concerned because he saw in them this tendency to look back on what they once had. And they were even being tempted to go back to that former way of living. And so he's writing to them to show them why they shouldn't, to show them that Jesus is better. This is primarily a letter to believers. So we know that they knew Christ, they had faith in Christ, and they had known the joy of that faith in Christ. And yet, even with that experience, they were being tempted to go back and to look back with longing on their former way of living. They were beginning to rethink their choices. But the Holy Spirit is moving the writer of Hebrews to tell them this. And remember, we said last time, we don't know really, some think it was Paul who wrote this, but there's very good evidence that, that tells us it probably wasn't Paul that wrote this. We don't really know who wrote Hebrews, but we do know that the author is the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit inspired this as, as the Holy Spirit inspired the rest of God's word. And so... The Holy Spirit is moving the writer of Hebrews to tell them and to tell us that Jesus is better. Jesus is, is much better. And that there is really only one right choice. And that right choice is to believe in Jesus, to believe in and follow Christ, because Jesus is far better. And that is the clear message that we heard as we were introduced to the book of Hebrews when we looked at verses 1 through 4 last Sunday. Today, I want you to look at Hebrews with me in chapter 1 where we pick up at verse 5 
And we're going to read through the end of chapter 1. So let's look together at the text. And I want you to follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5 and following. Where the writer says, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, Let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, He makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And, says verse 10, You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up like a garment. They will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? So here we have the writer of Hebrews, and he is helping us to see that that when it comes to choosing what we will do with Jesus, there is really only one right choice. And the way God's word will help us to see that this is this is very clear here that, that there is only one right choice here in what we will do with Jesus to, to help us. He helps make this clear that Jesus is superior to the angels. He starts writing here these, these reasons why Jesus is superior to the angels. Now, why did he write this? Why did he speak about the angels? Why so much in chapter 1 about why Jesus is greater than the angels? Why was this necessary to say this? Says John MacArthur, the old covenant was brought to man and maintained by angelic mediation. The Jews knew this and consequently had the highest regard for angels. Some respected angels to such a degree that they actually worshipped them. To the Jewish mind, angels were extremely exalted, immeasurably important. If the writer of Hebrews, therefore, was to persuade his fellow Jews that Christ is the mediator of a better covenant than that given through Moses, he would have to show, among other things, that Christ is better than angels. Christ must be shown to be better than the bearers and mediators of the old covenant, namely the angels. So that was the challenge in the days... This text was written, Hebrews, but there is still a similar problem today. Maybe you've seen it. You see, Satan is busy seeking to make Jesus Christ very small. Satan is very busy trying to make Christ insignificant, meaningless, weak, unimportant, and doing that by by elevating other things, Everything, anything, 
as more important or more powerful than Jesus. Pastor Stephen Cole illustrates the problem today this way. He writes, A few years ago, the Chicago Tribune reported the story of a woman in New Mexico who was frying tortillas when she noticed that the skillet burns on one of her tortillas resembled the face of Jesus. She excitedly showed it to her husband and neighbors who all agreed that the face etched on the tortilla truly bore a resemblance to Jesus. The woman went to her priest to have the tortilla blessed. She testified that the tortilla had changed her life, and her husband agreed that she had become more peaceful, happy, and submissive since the tortilla had arrived. The Hang in there. The priest was a bit reluctant, not being accustomed to blessing tortillas, but he agreed to do it. The woman took the tortilla home, put it in a glass case with piles of cotton to make it look like it was floating on clouds, built on a special altar. She opened up the little shrine to visitors, and within a few months, more than 8,000 people came to see the shrine of Jesus the tortilla. All of them agreed that the face in the burn marks on the tortilla was the face of Jesus except for one reporter who said that he thought it looked like former heavyweight boxing champion Leon Spinks. (laughs) Says Stephen Cole, we may laugh at that story, but to be mistaken about the person of Jesus Christ is no laughing matter. The most crucial question he says, for each person to answer correctly is, is Jesus' question to his disciples from Matthew sixteen fifteen, Who do you say that I am? And he's right. That's an important question. The most important question. So in the day Hebrews was written, it was likely that there were far too many who were giving far too much emphasis on what the angels did and a tendency to make little of who Christ is and what he has accomplished, and that is still the problem today. It is still no different today. That's what Satan is always working toward. You need to realize that. In the eyes of unbelievers, Satan is always working to make Christ small, powerless, and insignificant, and even in believers' eyes. Satan would love us to think that. It is no different today. Satan is always working toward helping people think that they ought to worship something else other than Jesus. People today still place their worship in the wrong places. People still neglect to believe in, worship, and obey the one whom God sent to be the sacrifice for their sins. Tragically, they neglect that. And turn away from Christ. But believers who have tasted and seen the joy of knowing Christ ought not think that there is some other choice, that there is some other way, that there is some other place that they ought to be. Jesus is superior. And the writer of Hebrews makes it clear that he is superior to the angels. So what is the argument here which the Holy Spirit makes through the writer of Hebrews about why Jesus is better than the angels? Simply stated, the argument is that Jesus is superior because he is God. 
Now that's what Hebrews 1 is making clear here. And there are, in fact, five points the writer makes in this text, which we read this morning, pointing to the fact that Jesus is God. And these are all drawn from the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. And the writer is pointing back to the Old Testament. And specifically, he's using the the Greek translation, the Septuagint, because the original readers of this letter accepted the authority of that text. And so the writer of Hebrews reaches back to that translation to the Old Testament passages to prove that Jesus is God because that will carry authority. And so he points back to seven Old Testament passages and they are quoted here in the text for us that we read this morning. Seven Old Testament passages to prove his point that Jesus is much better than the angels in five ways which makes very clear he is God. So here's argument number one. I'm going to show you these five arguments briefly this morning. Here's argument number one. Jesus is the Son of God. Go back up, and we didn't read it this morning. Go back to verse 4. Let me read for you verses 4 and 5. Jesus is the Son of God. Look at verse 4. Having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son? Today I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Now that first quote of the Old Testament in verse 5 is from Psalm 2-7. And the second quote in verse 5 is from 2 Samuel 7-14. Both of those, did you see what was in common there? Both of which point to the fact that Jesus is God's Son, you are my son, says God the Father to Jesus, God the Son. So son is the name that is more excellent than that of the angels. Now, while in Job 1.6, and we won't go look at it, but back in Job 1.6 we hear the angels are collectively referred to as sons of God. Now, that may happen there, but Jesus is the only one called the Son, okay? The angels might be referred to as the sons of God, but but Jesus is the only one called the Son. And Paul in Acts 13.33 also quotes Psalm 2.7, that Psalm 2.7 passage revealing, in fact, that this this begetting that we see here in in verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you, that begetting, uh, says says Paul in Acts 13.33 as he quotes the Psalm 2.7 passage revealing that that begetting occurred at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to that passage in Acts 13.33. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. There's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As Warren Wearsby explains, from eternity, Jesus Christ was God the Son. He humbled himself and became man. In his resurrection, however, he glorified that humanity received from the Father and received back the eternal glory he had veiled. The resurrection declares Jesus is God's Son. And as the Son of God, Jesus is greater than the angels. Now, argument number two. 
the angels worship and serve Jesus. Look at verses 6 and 7. The angels worship and serve Jesus, verses 6 and 7. And again, when he brings that the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. So the obvious statement here is that Jesus is better than the angels and worthy of your faith and my faith and worthy of your praise and my praise because he is worshipped and served by the angels, not the other way around. Jesus is not worshipping and serving the angels. It's, it's they who worship him and serve him. Just be careful here that we not think of Jesus as being born first. You see that firstborn there? Sometimes we might think that, well, that must mean he was born first, as, as if Jesus were created. Some false religions would like us to think that, but that's not true. Jesus was not created. He is not a created being. He is God. Firstborn doesn't always mean, in the Bible, born first. Okay, So be careful when you see that about Jesus. Uh, think about the Hebrews. In their day, the, for the Hebrews, firstborn had more to do with position than birth order. Had more to do with position than with chronology of birth. And this is why uh, one who is not the eldest son, and you'll see this in the scriptures, one who is not the eldest son can actually be called the firstborn, meaning that he is, is appointed as the heir of the estate and is certainly as such preeminent over the others in the family. And so Jesus as the firstborn, we need to understand it that way. Jesus as the firstborn into the world, not born first, but is preeminent. And he is preeminent certainly over the angels. And as for the angels being Jesus' servants, as we see in verse 7, it makes it clear that, that they are, look at it again in verse 7, of the angels he says, he makes his angels, his angels. So who should serve who, right? If they're his angels, they should serve him. And so as such, they serve him. So Jesus is clearly God and better than the angels because they worship him and they serve him. Now, argument number three, and here it is. Jesus as God reigns eternally. Jesus as God reigns, and he does so eternally. Look at verses 8 and 9 again. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Now, I just say, if you read that passage, and, and before you got to that passage, you doubted that Jesus Christ was God, all doubt should be obliterated right here, okay? And here's why. If, you're, if you were in any doubt up to this point as to whether Jesus Christ has always been eternally God, verse 8 makes it very clear. Verse 8 clearly speaks of Jesus saying, Your throne, O God is forever and ever. That's clearly speaking of Jesus Christ. Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. And it also makes it clear that his rule and reign, you noted it there, if you if you're paying close attention there, you saw that his rule and reign is marked by something, and that is righteousness. 
is righteousness. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness, says verse 9. And when we see here that Jesus is anointed with the oil of gladness beyond your companions, it's pointing to the fact that he has triumphed over sin. He has been victorious over sin. And he has returned to his rightful place in glory. And because of what we will see next, we know that he will reign for all of eternity. Amen? So again, Jesus is clearly God. Clearly God. And thus he is better than the angels. Now argument number four, which is this. Jesus is the creator of heaven and earth. Creator of heaven and earth is Jesus. Verses 10 through 12. Look at them again. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning. And the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. So Jesus was there in the beginning, laying the foundation of the earth. And this means that he is also the creator of whom? Who are we talking about here? We're talking about the angels, right? And so Jesus created the angels. And we could leave it at that and say he is obviously God and he is obviously better than the angels, but the text doesn't stop there. There's some wonderful news here for all who trust in Christ and wonderful news for those considering placing their faith in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is eternal. Think of that. Heaven and earth will pass away, but Jesus Christ will remain. In fact, it says here, it gives us this picture he's going to roll up and cast aside the old creation like a dirty set of clothing you know you take off your dirty clothes and throw them over there and you put some new ones on that's what jesus is going to do with the earth so put your faith in christ unbeliever right those who would who who might have doubts stop doubting start believing put your faith in christ and be saved Put your faith in Christ, unbeliever, because of who Jesus is and be saved. And believer, those who have put their faith in Christ, no matter what difficulties you face, think of it. Jesus Christ is up to it. He's up to the task to help you, to provide for your needs, to intercede for you. He intercedes for us, you realize. Jesus will always be there to help, and he can and will provide help because He's better than all. He's better than everything. He's better certainly than the angels. He's God. And this all makes Jesus better than the angels, of course. There's one one last argument, though. One, One more. Fifth argument. Jesus sits at God's right hand. Look at verse 13 again. And to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The obvious answer is none. To which of the angels? None. Only Jesus. We can see it if we go back to verse 3 also where it says, After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You realize that that is a place reserved for Jesus, not angels. In fact, that is a that is a place that's not reserved for any created being. That is a place reserved for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
the right hand of the majesty on high. And to make it even clearer that Jesus is God and as such much better than the angels and is to be believed in and worshipped and obeyed, we have the, the contrast between Jesus and the angels that's shown clearly here again in verse 14. Look at verse 14. After uh, Are they not, speaking of the angels, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. So you see Jesus Christ, and we see him here in verse 13. Where is he? He's reigning. He's, he sits at, at the God's right hand, right? And he's, it's an act of completion. When he sits, he's done. He's accomplished what needs to be accomplished for sinners. He's given himself. He's been the sacrifice for sins, and he's, he's redeeming a people for himself because he's, he's finished that work. And so he sits at the Father's right hand. Jesus reigns eternally, but the angels, where are they? They're being sent out to do whose work? The work of Christ, right? Whatever they, whatever he tells them. It would be wrong to worship the angels when they are the ones worshiping Jesus. It would be wrong to worship the angels who have been sent to serve the saints when our worship should be going to the one who is sent to save the saints. We're to be worshiping the one who is sent to save the saints, right? To save those who put their faith in Christ. And so we have it made clear here today in Hebrews 1, Jesus is better than all because he is God. And because of this, we should not only place our faith in him, we should also honor him with our worship. I hope when you come to our times of worship together on Sundays and we open our mouths and songs come out, that you're doing that from the bottom of your heart because of who Jesus is and what he has accomplished on your behalf. I hope you worship him. These aren't just times for us to enjoy together. They are times for us to enjoy, but they're not only that. They're not even primarily that. This is a time of worship. We come together. We open God's word, and we look at what he has given us in his word. We we recognize, I hope when you recognize this morning who Jesus is, it it overwhelms you with with a sense of worship, that that you would look to Jesus and worship him and thank him and glorify him for who he is. Jesus is better than all because he is God. And because of this, we should not only place our faith in him, we should not stop there. That is where we should begin. We should begin with faith in Christ, but we should also honor him with our worship, but we don't stop there either. You know what should come next for those who truly worship God? Through the Lord Jesus Christ? It should be obedience. We should obey. We should obey Jesus. We should obey his word. We should be so overwhelmed with who he is and what he's accomplished that we willingly, joyfully pursue obedience to God because of Jesus Christ. But even as I say that, I realize, and you probably realize this too, there's a choice. There's a choice to be made. The choice is yours. The choice is mine whether or not we will look to Jesus, believe in faith, worship and obey, or whether we will look at Jesus, disbelieve 
and disobey. The choice is ours whether or not we will choose the right choice, but there is only one right choice. Let's pray. Our precious Heavenly Father, we do, we do stop now to carefully reflect and think on who Jesus is. And I pray that you would move in our hearts and minds and lives to help us to be overwhelmed with who Jesus is, praising, praising him for who he is, thanking you for sending your son, praising the Lord Jesus Christ for being the sacrifice for our sins. And God, I pray that you would help us, each and every one, to continue to look to Jesus in faith. That we would not be tempted to look away from Jesus to the angels or to anything else. That we would not be distracted by the things in this world and the things that Satan is trying to tempt us with. Lord, help us to see and recognize who Jesus is and, and what he has accomplished. And what he continues to do for those who have faith in him. And God, may, may our lives rec uh, reflect, reflect his goodness and show his, show his goodness to the world we live in that we might willingly and joyfully tell others the good news of Jesus Christ, that they too might see Jesus and believe, having faith in Christ and be saved. God, I pray, help us to never be distracted by the things of this world, thinking that we have a better choice than Christ. And we praise you for the best choice. We thank you that Jesus is better. And I pray that you would help us to see that clearly, to humbly, uh, that we might humbly bow ourselves before Christ, worshiping him, serving him, believing in him, obeying him, for your glory and for our good. We praise you for him, for Jesus, for it's in his name we pray. Amen.